0: everyone and welcome to the american ambulance ems podcast uh, my name is dr danielle campaign and uh, we're excited today to talk about trauma codes
1: who serves a million people in the valley We do. the brave men and women of the double a are the best at what they do in ems today the finest place in the world to be is
2: right here as a part of americans family help is on the way got a unit and route no matter the problem when in doubt we send them out sure as the sunrise sure as i bust this rhyme 10 minutes or less every call every time this is my career path this is what i do the double a's red white and blue get your call on
0: here comes american
2: get your lights on
0: here comes american
2: get your gurney on here comes american get your gloves
0: on
3: here comes american
0: get your save on I'm here with co-host Dr. Sajin Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian, And we have a special guest, uh, Mr. Lonnie Taylor. Hi there. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for sharing your case. We wanted to share your case with us. Um, tell us about yourself a little bit. Tell us about your role with American. And uh...
3: So I've been with American for seven years now. I'm a paramedic supervisor, been a supervisor for about a year and a half. Um, worked as an EMT in this system as well. So I've had a little bit of experience here in the Central Valley.
0: Okay, Lonnie, I'm excited to hear about this uh, trauma code case. Tell me, tell me what the call out. Tell me about the case. Start from the beginning.
3: So in our area in the Central Valley, we have a very vast response um, area from the I-5, those of you familiar with California, upwards to the uh, Sierra Nevadas. This case, we were a lot closer to the I-5, a lot of uh, big rig trucks, a lot of farming vehicles. Um, this patient was in a smaller vehicle hit by a big rig, which happens unfortunately quite frequently in this area. Um, being the first ambulance, the first fire truck, there was no one else there but us. Uh, and it was just me and my partner trying to figure out how we were going to, uh, take care of this patient. Um, this patient ended up being still alive. Um, but I did notice that there was some airway compromise at the time. Um, my training obviously took me straight to holding C-spine, things like that. But then when I did realize that his breathing was... Having difficulty that went to bagging and then realizing that there could be a possibility of attention pneumothorax, um, I knew we had to get him out of the vehicle in order to properly decompress his chest. Um, but unfortunately, doing it inside the vehicle wasn't going to happen just because of the mechanism. By the time help did arrive and we got him out of the vehicle and started to look into decompressing his chest, the patient had gone into cardiac arrest. So at that point, we had switched to, um, running the code and while we were getting our needles out to decompress and we able to successfully decompress one side of the chest on the mid axillary line. But unfortunately the other side was on the wall side of the ambulance. So we had to go for the second intercostal space. Um, it was definitely difficult while doing it in the back of a uh, ambulance in close quarters and not being able to Um, get to that far side of the chest and then also having CPR going at the same time attempting to intubate Um, but recognizing the tension pneumothorax in the beginning recognizing the tension pneumothorax in the beginning was definitely
0: tell us some of the things you saw or what kind of clued you into that
3: Uh, so I did see that the patient did have some tracheal tugging off to the side. I don't remember exactly what side of the chest it was. Um, there was very little um, JVD. Not much to see at the time, just based on the way he was positioning. Um, But definitely, I was able to feel some broken ribs on one side, and then on top of that, the decreased lung sounds. Um, He did have some paradoxical movement, which also indicated that there could be some more injury on that side of that chest as well, which made me fully listen to his lungs on both sides. And, you know, you kind of get that moment where you're like, well, is this just not because he's taking a deep breath, or is this truly a tension pneumothorax? And I was able to distinguish after assisting with respirations. There was really no airflow on that one side of the chest.
0: Now, were you able to get um, a blood pressure or pulse before all this happened? I knew everything happened so fast.
3: Unfortunately, I remember getting a pulse at the time um, and unable to get a blood pressure. And I believe that was just because the blood pressure was too low. Um, but I do remember oxygen saturation was way low. Um, I think it at this point was in the 70s. And that was with assisting respirations.
0: So a super sick patient.
2: And was he um, or was the patient alert and talking to you when you first got there? Was the mental status declining?
3: And or were there any other clues that the patient may be deteriorating? The patient at the time was not alert. Um, was I believe a GCS of four or five. Uh, so really in bad shape. I do remember when I was going to assist with intubation inside the vehicle prior to getting him out, um, we did have the start of a seizure. So that from then on made it even harder to try to take care of him um, with the clenched jaw, trying to get an OPA in, trying to do an NPA, even trying to bag at that point um, was pretty difficult. At that point, I believe we were about 45 minutes away from the trauma center. Um, the closest hospital was a non-trauma center and that was about 30 minutes away. By flight, that ended up being approximately 10 minutes. And the trauma center still was about 20 minute flight away. Uh, and we did have a flight crew on scene with us assisting at that time. So even with them on scene, it was gonna take a while before this patient got anywhere.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Lonnie, for sharing your case. Really appreciate that. Um, Before we end though, I want to ask you how easy was it to needle? Some people talk about how hard it is. People love needling. People hate needling. Where are you in this regard?
3: I'm one of the people that actually do not like needling the chest. I know when it needs to be done, um, but I feel like it is a hard skill for me to do. Uh, Practicing on mannequins definitely does not fully prepare you to needle a, a human being. Um, I've successfully been able to needle people and there are times that there was another paramedic on scene and if I wasn't able to get it, I was more than happy to allow them to do it because I just wasn't able to.
0: What are some of your tips you can give your fellow colleagues that are listening right now?
3: I believe getting a proper grab on the needle is probably the most important thing. Um, At the beginning, I wanted to hold the decompression needle like I do an IV needle, which is incorrect. You have to almost take more of a jab stance with it and that made a lot of a difference. And then also making use of the bevel and the way it slides up and over and into the skin helps a lot more than trying to needle um, with the incorrect technique. And on top of that, um, considering CPR, that maybe CPR is causing some problems and maybe you need to do it in between or maybe pause for a second just to get the needle in real quick so that you can advance it further.
0: Perfect. Thanks for those tips, and thanks for sharing your case with us today.
3: Of course.
1: Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Trauma codes are definitely a scary thing to deal with, and Lonnie's case was a very high-stress situation. And um, how how often are we seeing trauma cases in general happening in the United States?
0: Yeah, so trauma is one of the leading causes of death, you know, age 45 and under. Um, a lot of different sources talk about um 41 million emergency department visits a year um, for trauma in the United States. That's a lot of visits. And then um, 2 million hospital admissions and kills three times the number of Americans that were killed in Vietnam. So it's definitely um, a big threat to also our young, healthy, working population. So they talk about there's it's 600 billions of dollars is lost every year on people who have to go through a traumatic incident whether you got in your car accident, you broke something, you're off of work and so it, and the cost of healthcare and your lost productivity is over 600 b billion dollars. So it's a big a big problem.
2: And what are the most common types of trauma? Blunt trauma, penetrating trauma,
0: yeah, so there's there's two different types. Of, so Penetrating, we talk about the gunshots, we talk about the stab wounds. Blunt drama, you think of car accidents, you think of fall from height, fall off a horse, fall from a tractor. Um, those kinds of things. Um, so blunt trauma is is more common um, than penetrating trauma, but there's more deaths from penetrating trauma. So you have more chance of getting killed if you're shot or stabbed, which kind of makes sense. Um, it, it penetrates, especially if it's into your core um, versus blunt trauma. So there was a study done out of USC. Um, this is a little bit old, though, in t- 2005, that looked at penetrating trauma accounted for 20% of all their trauma cases, but 50% of all their trauma deaths. It's a lot more people dying from penetrating trauma.
2: And what's our protocol here in the Central Valley um, for if our EMS providers are called out to a trauma case and they see that CPR needs to be initiated?
0: Right. So initiation and termination of CPR in the trauma patient um, is is different between blunt and penetrating trauma because of these survival rates. So if they come on scene and the person's in asystole, um, they do CPR for one minute. If they're still in asystole, you're done no transport anywhere. You call it on the scene. Um, they follow the protocol. They need two people to call it. Um, so now they get on the scene. Um, if it's PEA less than 20 beats per minute, if it's blunt trauma, they get transported to the, if the hospital is, um, less than five minutes away, they transport them. So if it, the hospital is greater than five minutes away, then they terminate CPR for blunt trauma. If it's penetrating trauma, they transport to the hospital if it's 10 minutes away. And the idea is that, uh, uh, penetrating trauma is a surgical disease, right? You got to stop the bleeding. So you got to get into that person's body and stop the bleeding, whether that's in their chest or whether that's in their abdomen. So um, they run that a little longer, hoping you can get to the hospital fast to give them blood and um, and stop that.
1: Now, one of the things that's really helped trauma care evolve in the United States has been the establishment of regional trauma centers. And so here in the Central Valley, our regional trauma centers are CRMC and Downtown Fresno and Cloia Delta and Visalia. And so so this so this is one of the things that's really helped because all of the resources are concentrated at these level 1 and level 2 trauma centers. And so then you know that if you take your trauma code to these places, they're probably going to have the best chance of survival if they're close enough to even get there. Um, so let's say if you do have a trauma code and you're transporting them how do you decide where to go?
0: Yeah, so they have a trauma destination policy. And um, and this is one of the cases where most of the time you go to the nearest closest appropriate facility if you're like a medical code, right? So if you're having a medical code anywhere in Fresno County, you go to the nearest closest facility. But this is where you can actually bypass uh, another hospital to get to a trauma center. So um, the policy talks about you can pass other hospitals to get to a trauma center, but only if the transport to the trauma center is greater than 10 minutes and you're going to go to the closest receiving. So if you can imagine we're way across town, you're not going to pass St. Agnes and Clovis to get to us and get to us in 20 minutes. You're going to go to the others. But if you can get to us within 10 minutes, then you're going to bypass them and get to us. Got
1: it. So the goal is get somewhere within 10 minutes.
0: Exactly. Um, and that's just that kind of, uh, those are the minutes. I don't think it's really been studied exactly, you know, is it 12 minutes or nine minutes, but that is the literature across the nation of that 10 minutes for, um, to get if not, then the patient gets called on scene. And one of the nice. things we talk about is death after trauma. So, what does it due to? So, it's usually due to hypovolemia, like blood loss. You know, and our medics don't carry blood, so they can't really treat that. It's also due to a tension pneumothorax, and that is something they can treat with needle thoracostomy. It could do to a tamponade or airway obstruction, and they can treat the airway obstruction with bagging for them or opening up the airway. And then just respiratory arrest And it's due to a high neurological injury, if they got a high C spine injury. So, a few of these death from trauma, whether it's blunt or penetrating, they can fix. And that is the tension pneumothorax and the airway obstruction and breathing for them. So the biggest push um, that as the medical director, I want them to do is to needle unseen, right? And I know that's a big push. And um, there's been some studies behind that and just kind of to relieve that uh, pneumothorax. And Lonnie kind of talked about that in his case, how the patient had these signs of a tension pneumothorax encoded. And so when they are in arrest, you want to needle both sides of the chest.
2: Right. And it's hard in a patient who doesn't have a pulse to think about these things. Our natural instinct is to start CPR and continue CPR. We're really pushed in medical codes to continue high quality CPR at all times. Um, in this case, they could be dying from attention pneumothorax. And it's really important to fix what's wrong. And sometimes it gets a little confusing, but needling the chest is really life-saving maneuver.
0: Right. And I know people are nervous, like, am I doing this right? Am I going to hurt the patient? I always like to say they're already dead. You can't hurt anybody if they're already dead. So the only thing you can do is help them. And there's been some in this system, some great ROSC after uh, needling the chest. And so they have uh, two that I know of just off top of my head that have walked out of our hospital totally alive after being needled by American Ambulance. And so I'm really proud of our crew, like um, wow. the... Quality Improvement Committee through SEMSA um, really looks at this. And every month we look at how many people are getting needled. And this is why, because if you could save one guy's life, it's worth it. Definitely. So,
2: Danielle, what are the different areas that we use for needle thoracostomy?
0: Right. So there are two sites um, that are in our protocols. The first is the primary site, which is going to be your mid-axillary line, fifth intercostal space. People talk about the nipple line in a male or the breast crease in a female. That's like the primary site, um, then the secondary site, so say you attempt that or you can't reach it or for some reason, then you go secondary site, which is anterior midclavicular line, second intercostal space. Um, this is supposed to be done on scene as quickly as possible prior to transport.
2: And just to give you an idea of where these sites' rationales come from, um, they're... Are a lot of meta-analyses that kind of try to see the depth of the subcutaneous tissue in these different areas. Um, For example, there was a meta-analysis that was published in 2015 um, looking at thousands of patients and looking at CT scans and trying to determine where the depth of the subcutaneous tissue um, allowed for the greatest access to the pleural space. Um, so in, basically
0: like if you needle somebody you might not actually get in where it's supposed to go, right? They right. Had too big of tissue on their chest or they were too muscular and it never went in, even though you thought it did.
2: Right. And the classic teaching is to go in the midclavicular line. And the reason we've moved away from that is because as the population of the United States becomes a little bit more obese, we tend to carry that more in our anterior chest than our lateral chest. Um, so a lot of the uh, CT studies have shown that the average depth for male and females is about four and a half centimeters of subcutaneous tissue in the anterior chest as opposed to the lateral chest where you're getting less than four centimeters. So it's a it's a difference of at least a half a centimeter um, average. And we actually did a study here in our system um, with some of our attendings at RMC. And they were looking at needle thoracostomies from 2007 to 2013, where the main method was the uh, midclavicular line, and then there was an education process, and then they looked at the change in protocol to the mid-axillary line from 2013 to 2016. And although they weren't able to show a significant survival rate change, they were able to show that it was more successful in the lateral chest. So that's why we moved to needling the lateral chest. I think you'll find you'll, you're a little more successful and hopefully you get into the pleural space.
0: And the coolest part about that study was it's done right here with American Ambulance in our uh, Fort County region. And so it's it's great data done by you guys. So thank you so much for entering all those PCRs. And it shows that, you know, that primary site now is more important than mid-axillary line because you will enter the chest more often than not. Um, so try that first off- Obviously, the primary site that doesn't work, then go to the anterior chest.
2: The other thing that that study looked at was the timing of the needling. And before, we were often needling in the back of the ambulance, and we looked at moving that timeline a little bit quicker. So now we're needling on scene prior to moving them into the back of the ambulance. Um, Can you talk a little bit about why that's important?
0: They did this great analysis. I know everybody doesn't like to say this is one to read. It looked at 1.5 million trauma patients from 2010 to 2016, and looked at the dispatch time, their on scene time, and then how did that correlate to hospital mortality? And basically, it showed that every minute increase in scene time independently correlated with a one percent increase in mortality, and that it had a is very statistically significant, a p value of less than 0.001. And so, American Ambulance takes this very seriously. So that's why you have these very quick on scene times. So some son try the protocols; they have to be off scene within 10 minutes. So if you can imagine poor Lonnie, he gets on scene, he has a person stuck in a car and he's got to get off scene in 10 minutes. I can't get my kid loaded up in a car seat in 10 minutes, right? And that's a kid who's not injured. And um, so it's very hard to do. But I'm very proud to announce that um, here at American Ambulance, over 90% of the time, we're off scene in 10 minutes or less for penetrating trauma. So it's really impressive. So keep up the great work, everyone. And that matters. You might not think it matters, but it really does. And studies show that. So every minute extra on scene is a
1: 1% increase in mortality. Those are real numbers. That's really impressive. So that's good to know. Just ship them and run, basically, right? Yeah, so we're kind of a
0: load and go system is what SEMSA has created for trauma specifically. Actually, all stats are a load and go system because we know mortality increases as you stay in play. The only difference is on a medical code, they have you stay in play longer. But um, because in these studies really back that so um, a lot of the protocols are written based off of evidence based medicine.
2: And can we just quickly recap our trauma protocols?
0: Right. So you're going to get on scene. You're going to see that they're coding. You're going to start CPR if appropriate. You're going to put them on the monitor. You're going to shock them if they're in VFib or VTAC. You're going to apply direct pressure or a tourniquet to stop the bleeding. And then you're going to need a them, right? And then those are the only thing you're going to do on scene. You're going to get them out of there, right? Easier said than done. I know all you medics are rolling your eyes at me. And you're going to transport them into the hospital to kind of do everything else in route if possible. All right, so let's wrap it up where our take-home points. What do we want the medics noses
1: as trauma codes um, in our system? My take-home point is time is mortality. And so the faster you can get them off scene, the better it's going to be for the patient.
2: My take-home point is in a trauma code, the patient is already dead. So you can't hurt them anymore. We want to give you the best chance of survival. And that's three things. Stopping the bleed, needle thoracostomy, and getting them to the hospital as soon as you can.
0: Great. My take-home point is when you come on scene and you've got a trauma code, if they're in PEA less than 20 beats per minute, blunt trauma. Just remember if the hospital is more than five minutes away, call it. And if it's penetrating trauma and the hospital is greater than 10 minutes away, uh, terminate CPR on scene. Thanks, everyone, for all you do. And thanks, Lonnie, for being here today to share your story.
1: podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks.
3: Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast, produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's
1: media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.